Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Hello, everyone. Welcome to June's Mental Health Book Club. This month, we are going to be covering The Climate Book by Greta Thunberg. And it is not a book that I, it it doesn't follow the types of books that I've been choosing since I started this Mental Health Book Club. But climate change is something that has been on the front of my mind for, I would say for years now, but it especially became more important to me once I became a parent, because, you know, when you become a parent, you start thinking of like, well, what kind of world is my child inheriting and stuff? And it gets very, uh, well, the, the anxiety goes up, I think, as you think about the state of things and stuff. So The connection I'm making uh, between this book, which is a book of essays, to mental health is that there is a concept uh, known as eco-anxiety, which is basically anxiety or um, mental health or, you know, um, symptoms that relate to the state of our environment, this planet that we live on that seems to be in trouble. So um, I'm looking forward to getting into this very... Uh, somewhat dense uh, book of essays that has a lot of good scientific information, a lot of practical information, and to, you know, just be able to talk with other people about it and, you know, see what other people think. And maybe this can foster some conversations that can make a difference in our lives and in the spheres of influence that we have. So uh, as I always do with this uh, book club, I want to jump in with initial thoughts and kind of things that may have stood out to people as they read this section of the book. And just for those following along, uh, if you're in the print copy of the book, we read from the beginning of the book through page 105. I'll just make a, a general comment about the structure. I really liked how there's an essay or two, and then Greta will kind of come in with uh, kind of her take on not necessarily the topic itself, but just the overarching theme of the book. Um, And I really like how it's not like, here's the solution. It's just like, we need to do something. How do we get people to care about climate change? Um, Which I think is a very novel way to approach the topic. It's not like you have to do this, which a lot of people don't like, right? When you tell them what they need to do, it's just saying you need to care. Here's why. Um, So I think it's a very even that's a dark topic that we don't like to talk about. And it's a really kind of sad, bleak thing that's happening to the planet. Um, the way in which she's going about presenting the information is very matter of fact. This is the facts. We would like you to appreciate them um, and really take them to heart versus, you know, kind of trying to shove it down your throat. I'll piggyback on that too. I really liked her essays that broke up the uh, more scientific essays because it was like, some of them, they would be like, okay, this is very scientific information. And then she would come in and be like, common sense. Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, and I'll be honest, I did not get all of the reading done merely because of the science stuff. Um, and I'm okay with that because it is an important book. So I'm okay with you know having to catch up for next week. And still being part of the conversation because it is an important conversation, but I, I really like that, that they're short. So like, okay, I'll read this and then maybe I have to 
do something else for a minute, not because of the, you know, the darkness part of it or the like depressing part or however somebody would want to view it just for the mere fact of the density of what we're reading. Um, I thought I was going to be able to just, you know, you had given the suggestion of reading 20 pages a day and I'm like, oh, 20 pages a day. That's fine. And then I was like, I can't do 20 pages. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's worth the read and to really take the time to like digest what you're reading. And I also agree that having her writing in between a couple of them, it, um, it shows how passionate she is, even if she doesn't have that scientific knowledge for herself she's willing to listen to the scientific knowledge. She's willing to continue to be passionate about it. Um, and that's what I like about her bluntness too, is that it's, it's not just because it's going to affect her. It's going to affect other people. She does not have children yet, but she's concerned about whoever's coming next. And that's why I think this is going to be a really great book to read as a whole. Thank you for that perspective. And the good thing about this being a book of essays too, is that like you could like throw a bookmark and where you left off, go to the section for next week and read as much as you can. And the thing is, they're standalone essays. They are grouped into topics. So it's not like if I miss some of it, you know, it's not like a memoir where it's like, oh, well, what happened to his brother? You know, it's like, it's, 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 the, the main character of the book is the Earth, and in conclusion, the Earth is fucked. So we know how the story ends, so we're just finding out why it's fucked, right? Um, to paraphrase, uh, a very thick book. So yeah, it, it's, it's not going anywhere, and the information is very good. And I think this book reminds me of the one that we did on um, The Body Keeps the Score. That book was a very um, scientifically kind of dense book, but this one is even further because like I am considered an expert in mental health. So that to that that book to me was like, oh, I know this stuff, right? But even me, a whole therapist who works with people's, you know, struggles for a living, I thought that book was a lot, right? So I think with this one, especially since it's kind of like a problem, like the body keeps the score, we're talking about trauma. There's a lot of treatments for trauma. We don't, I mean I assume there's some answers to climate change in the climate book, but we don't actually have, you know, it, it's not like we can have a solution that we can come up with as we're reading this thing. Um, but also I think from an individual person standpoint, we have to take care of ourselves first. Like we can't just be like, Oh, well, climate change is a big issue. So let me just like throw myself in and, you know, cause the whole connection point here for mental health is that it's, eco-anxiety like what good are we going to do in talking about this book about climate change if we're all like traumatized or like too like overwhelmed by the book to even show up every week you know um it's not going to have the ripple effect so i would say to the listeners of the podcast but also everyone here uh proceed with caution like this is um it's it's dense information it's heavy it's i there are elements of at least she says you know in her little essays and stuff there is hope it's not completely you know um it's not completely hopeless right now there's 
uh, a lot of change needs to happen and it needs to happen quickly. But if we get overwhelmed in the meantime, nothing is going to happen. And I think the the purpose of this book too, is she says is like, hey, here's the information. It's a start. Like we need to get, basically people should know this information. And I will share, I guess, a pro tip. Uh, I have the print version of the book. I cheated and got myself, I treated myself <laughs> to the audio uh, version of the book. And I put that bitch on like 1.6 speed while I was going through the print copy because I needed to do that for my mental health. I was like, okay, I can get the information. I need to speed it up because if I'm doing it, I'm going to just like go down a, a, like a rabbit hole of worry. I live with an anxiety disorder. So I did that to kind of break it up. I, I read about half of it just from the book. And then the second half of the section, I did it with the, um, the audio book. So being able to just kind of switch it up a little bit um, helped me too. So anybody else uh, initial impressions? Just to wrap it into mental health a little bit. Um Normally children that are that empathetic, like, you know, outside of their immediate family and people they know, uh, it's a trauma response. So I'm a little interested how Greta like seems a pretty well put together child. She's very smart, has really great parents, I'm assuming. So it's it's an interesting perspective for her to be like, yeah, the earth, like I care so much about it. And I'm like, wow, that's um a, a unique opinion for such a small, small person. Cause you gotta remember she She's not very old. I think she's like 22 or early 20s or something. Um, not only is she not very old, though, but she's going against so many old politicians who try to brush her under the table for just being an obnoxious kid, for bringing up stuff they don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about the businesses they support that are contributing to all these issues because their mindset is, oh, let's leave it for these future generations to have to fend for themselves. So I think she irritates a lot of people in that way because they have to be held accountable because then other people start asking them. And it's not just this kid asking them anymore. It's like news media, like, what are you going to do about this? And they don't have any answers because a lot of them just want to act like it doesn't exist. She covers that early on, like literally the first page where she just she did not sugarcoat anything. She jumped right in first paragraph. Uh, this is greenwashing, right? There, there's a lot of people saying they're doing stuff, and this is what's really going on. I was like, well, I didn't even put my keys down. I, <laughs> you know, we're just here, okay. But as we jump in, I want to share a snippet of something hopeful she said because while I don't think her aim or you know, any real change can come from just being like, oh, let's focus on the positives, right? There are some positives, there are some things we can do, but we also have to talk about what the problem is in order to come up with solutions. We can't just talk about what makes us feel good. So on page three, quote, there is still time for us to avoid the worst outcomes. There's still hope, but not if we continue as we are today. To solve this problem, we first need to understand it. And to understand the fact that the problem itself is by definition a series of interconnected problems, we need to lay out the facts and tell it like it is. Science is a tool and we need to learn how to use it, end quote. So she she gave hope, but basically saying based on the science and the math, we haven't completely blown past all of the thresholds and tipping points and points of no returns, but 
we have blown past some of them and some of the effects we already see them like before we got started someone in the book club was mentioning uh wildfires and it's impacting uh air quality in the area that they live in and you know from what we read for this week it's going to become more and more frequent that there is extreme weather and natural disaster things happening and the acceleration of this that you i think one of the metaphors or not metaphors but um examples it's used is like you know you're rolling uh, a pair of dice and it would land on two sixes um every so often but now it's like very often it's landing on two sixes and sometimes it's double seven it's like it's it, there there is clearly something really wrong going on and we have to stop pretending that it's like so far out into the future so started off with a little bit of hope there but we're going to juggle back and forth between anxiety hopelessness all of that i think that's why it's a good fit for this book club so i'm going to pass it back to y'all what is a, a particular essay or something that you learned here that um you want to open up discussion on i think uh science being my background, right? I, some of it was like, oh yeah, I know that. Um, but my most interesting essay was the debate about methane and carbon monoxide or carbon dioxide. And it was basically like, yeah, cows farting is like, if you stop all the cow production tomorrow, like in 10 years, it'd all be gone. But the CO2 is going to be here for a lot, lot longer. So like, that's a much like, if we're going to pick something to really hone in on, like leave the cows alone. There was somebody, I think it was an essay I read where it was talking about like people who think about climate change, there's like different categories. So there's deniers, which you don't have to look very far to find those. And then you've got the, I can't remember what the term they use, but basically the doomsday people who are like, it's just give up. It's, it's too far gone. Right. And then you've got people who are, rather ignorant and not that's not to put people down but we some people just don't know about this stuff right uh they're trying to live lives they're trying to raise families or you know trying to survive right but then there's also climate confusers who will say say we're talking about co2 emissions from cars or something like that they'll throw in a conversation about like oh well um, you know, when you recycle your plastic bottles, it doesn't even get recycled anyway. And it literally throws everything. Like, it's like, well, what, 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 I'm sorry. We were talking about emissions from cars and you're talking about recycling. Can we keep the thing, the thing, right? So there are people who will, they want to, or they'll throw in like, okay, we're talking about this specific issue, but then they bring in uh, race into it. Right. And it's like, well, yes you know, as the quote that I shared from Greta, it, it's going to be interconnected. There's a lot of web together problems. However, sometimes when you're trying to discuss one thing and you take it too broad, nothing is going to get done because like, are we here talking about race? Are we talking about plastic bottles? Are we talking about, or were we talking about the emissions from cars? Right. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that people handle content and information about climate change. And it just makes it even more daunting. So I just wanted to share that insight because uh, I think all of us have probably seen elements of all those different types of people from the deniers to the confusers, to the ignorant, to the doomsday, like, you know, um, and despite uh, Greta being a very like well-known for her activism for climate change, it, 
it, it's it, if this book was written by somebody who was like we're doomed i don't think people would be reading it so it, I, I like to think that she has she's somewhat balanced on this uh and also listeners to the podcast i have a screaming toddler who's fighting sleep right now so if you hear that in the background that's what's going on i was just gonna say it's interesting that ashley brought that up because you'll see this argument a lot between like vegans and then everybody else for like by eating cows and other meats you're causing all this issues to the environment they're like you gotta ship it all the methane gases all of this other stuff but even to get those same plants you're still having to transport them somewhere so nothing is going to be completely green it's at some point we're still going to create issues that have to be figured out so it's so unfortunate that people would rather fight and argue about stuff like that Versus trying to find something that actually helps everybody. And with that, the essay that I did get to that I really liked was um, uh, 1.7. Why didn't they act? And Naomi talks about how um, they take their cues from the tobacco industry and try and put all of the blame on like us, like personal responsibility and lowering carbon footprint. And it's like, I'm a little girl that does some stuff, but I am not a big oil company. I am not these major industries that have done such massive damage. I mean, even just reading a different book about the Manhattan Project, what they did in Tennessee. I mean, just the most appalling things that have happened in our history. And it's not because, you know, Hot, you know, got the stove going. It's, yeah, and those things we have to be mindful of, not buying single-use plastic and all of these other things, but why should I carry all of the guilt over something that, like, I got nervous because I bought some Norwex and they're microfiber, and my girlfriend was like, but all the microplastics that are going to come out of your washing machine, and I'm like, well, hell, what am I supposed to do? So I bought a Cora ball to catch the plastic microplastics, and then I'm like, you know what? I'll just go and pick up the tiny plastics that are on the beach and we'll call it even. And that's what I can do. So it's like, but they're using those things to make us feel like we're solely responsible and heaven forbid that I stop and get a bottle of water someplace or whatever, that I am the sole person destroying. And that's where your the eco anxiety comes from. Instead of us putting the blame where it belongs, where big major changes could actually be made. I can't make those changes. I'm not Exxon. I'm not all these people. Yes, every once I buy something that comes in the mail and has to go places and things and collectively, yeah, if we all stopped doing that or settled down, it would make a, a difference. But I just thought that was interesting to to know that one that they took cues from the tobacco company, which says a whole lot, and and to to know that you know that's where I got some hope. That was where my little sliver was like, oh, right. Remember, it's not just us and what we're purchasing or how we're traveling or whatever. It's it's really so much bigger than that, and. And there are some, some things I won't be able to impact, but 
you know, I can do some things. And so I'll do those things. And then if I don't do them, like, that's okay, too. We could also look at when did all of this stuff start to change? Like there's tons of, if you have the print version of this book, or even if you have like the audio book version, it comes with a PDF to see all of the charts and things. But the industrial revolution, you know, in really across the world, but like the, the burning of, you know, fossil fuels and the production, the up, the rise of capitalism and, uh, basically this uh, global economic system that's built upon churn and burn. Like we, you know, have to keep people buying stuff and using stuff so that we can make more stuff for them to buy and use more stuff. It's what sustains the system, right? And so we, uh, everybody in this this book club now, we grew up into a society, into a world that we we don't know anything other than you know, oh, well, something gets a little worn out, we replace it, or you throw it away, or, you know, uh, we, and the systems that are in place, the, the, the culture, the society that we live in was not, we didn't wake up and decide, oh, I'm going to throw this away, like, that we were taught that by the generation before us, and we can trace it back to there were times where it wasn't like this where things looked a little bit different but like um someone was saying like uh gasoline and uh like big corporations like uh you know exxon and um bp and stuff like that like we've heard about the gigantic oil spills and to the fact that they're still happening and at a ridiculous rate like I can at a very like I can share a very small story in that I went to Florida for the first time last year and um swam in the ocean with dreadlocks for the first time i i mean i've been in the ocean before i had locks but when i tell you it took me about a month to get whatever the fuck the residue was that was in that ocean out of my locks uh it like there there was some stuff in that ocean okay that it was not because i used a different shampoo it was literally like and you know you know your hair right like and i'm like the only thing that i did differently was get into that ocean there's there is just evidence to me right there that this water was so very polluted and for it to be a large body of water that should be cycling things out it's like there's there's some shit in there you know but we get to learn about the history of like the the oil companies are like oh no we're not causing any issues and this isn't anything and they you know they hired their own scientists to um, to change the things and tobacco did that for years and years. Like we live in Virginia. Um, some of us live in the, or I say some of us, some of the people who are in the book club live in the, the Richmond area. I do, but we have like the headquarters for Philip Morris, uh, right here. And they had their own labs of scientists and things telling people, Oh, smoking cigarettes is not going to cause, you know, uh, but now we have like a couple of generations of people who are just like dropping like flies from like, you know, lifelong you know use of tobacco products and things like that but you know the same thing happened with uh you know fossil fuels and things like that and to this day people are like oh it's not that bad or you can even like see something where people would be like oh well the emissions from an ev is so much worse because of the batteries and this which is true they're 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 it's not perfect but they're like oh but a regular you know uh internal combustion engine is still better because all of this and it's like they slant the science so that 
based on how they could sell things and how they can do things instead of, I don't know, people are get really good at running from the truth. I feel like I went into some rabbit holes and maybe that didn't make sense, but those are the different things that occurred in my brain. But yes, corporations are lying to us. And to what Angela was saying is, at the end of the day, I still got to live. I still got to eat. I still got to have food, clothing, shelter, and transportation and relationships, right? How do I find the balance of, first of all, none of us chose to be here. Uh, so we're here. We have to live, right? I mean, there's only one alternative. And as a therapist, I typically don't steer people in that direction. Um, so we have to live. And because of that, we have to figure out how to live in the best way possible. But because we have so much information coming at us and we don't know what's true and what's not and what's uh, got a slant and what's got an ulterior motive and stuff like that, we're sitting here paranoid and freaked out. You know, I was driving home today and I had a snack and the, the snack was in a plastic wrapper and at home, I have a bag where I put like plastic bags and wrappers and things because allegedly you can bring your films and bags and stuff like that to the grocery store and they recycle those types of things. I don't know if they do or not, but I, I put it in uh, my bag with trash and I was like, uh, I should probably put that in my pocket so that I can bring it inside and put it in. But in my head, I'm like, I'm sitting here driving on 95, which is death-defying, uh, if you've ever done it. Um, I'm over here driving on 95 in rush hour traffic. Like, I shouldn't be, like, freaking out about whether or not I recycled this small piece of plastic film, right? But that's the ripple-down effect of this sort of stuff that it has on us. And it's like, I think we, we want to be good people. We don't want to hurt the planet more than we have to. But... Little things like that will find us where it's like, you'll feel like a terrible human being just from existing. So it's, um, any thoughts from any of y'all on how to, to find the balance? We haven't gotten to the hopeful part of the book yet. Um, so any, any ideas? I mean, I, I'm just not to, to compound or anything, but it, I thought a lot about, I don't know if you remember pre-COVID times, but uh, the plastic, like single-use plastic straws was a big deal. And companies were like, we're switching to paper straws. And it was this whole thing. And uh, when you do the math out, like the amount of plastic coming from plastic straws is a drop in the bucket compared to some of these companies. I'm, it was all over social media like a couple of years ago, but uh, a big like um, cargo ship like dumped a bunch of igloo coolers into the Arctic ocean and they're like still finding igloo coolers and they never went back to get them because they're international waters. No one says I have to go back and get, you know, five shipping containers worth of igloo coolers that are now just like bobbing around in the ocean. I think what's interesting to me is like the people who are very upset about people using like single use water bottles. But when you do like scientific tests and lab results on the people who are using the same bottle every day and they're not accurately washing the bottle. So all these germs that they're giving to themselves. And I'm kind of just like, I understand you're trying to help the environment, but you may be creating the next 
pandemic with all these bacterias that are sitting in there because you never clean this bottle, then you're going to fountains and refilling it with other people that never clean their bottles. So all these germs that are there, it's just kind of like, at what point do you pick and choose what you want to be sick by? Do you want to have all these single use bottles and what's it's horrible you want to recycle, but then places are saying, oh, we have too many bottles to recycle. There's nothing else we can do with them. Like, what do you do? But uh, and then I'm thinking, too, about, you know, the going to the gym with uh, I see people who bring their reusable bottles and I'm like, the gym is fucking disgusting, like on the best day. And people set the, the bottles on the ground and all of that. And, you know, you know, these people go home to their families and set the same bottle on the countertop that then the, the toddler is grabbing their chicken nuggets off of. And I'm just like, there's something to be said about the, the sanitation of the, that. but then again, to, if you can, if you have recycling in your area, you know, put it in the recycling bin when you're done using it, hope for the best. Right. It's, there's a lot of systems that we're depending on to actually do the right thing, but you get, here we go, eco-anxiety again, because you get to so many dead ends where it's like, well, this bottle says that it's recyclable. The corporation could be lying to us saying that it's recyclable according to what we're reading, right? If I put my plastic bottle into the recycling bin, sources are telling me that they just throw it in the landfill anyway. And thinking about you know, the, the, the ripple effect of all the different things. It's like, well, I just, I do need to be hydrated. I think that's a requirement for life. It's like, how do I, how do I do this? You know, it, it gets really, um, really overwhelming. Okay. So I have words. I have words. I saw a meme the other day or a real, I don't know what it's 2023. I have no idea what the hell's coming at me. Right. Basically it says, what the hell did 80s moms do? Were they just dehydrated all the time because those bitches didn't have water bottles, right? They weren't doing that. They weren't having, they weren't carrying around. I mean, my daughter has this thing from when she gave birth and it looks like she's just carrying around a gallon of water with her all the time. And I'm like, Sydney, what the hell is that? It's got the big hospital logo around it and she's all sucking on it. And I'm like, how much does that hold? She's like, I think it's like 40 ounces of water. I'm like, why the hell do you need 40 ounces of water all at once? She's like, it's the only way I'll drink it. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So we just have to do the best we can, right? Because while Nita said something about the germs from, a, from carrying your water bottle with you, my mind's going, yeah, but didn't I read or hear something that you shouldn't leave plastic water bottles in the car in the summer because the chemicals leach into the water? And I'm like, well, we're just, as you put, so eloquent, we're fucked. I mean, there's no way. And then I just got a thing saying, okay, we switched recycle companies um, in Orleans County. And so now the only plastics that are recyclable at all that you can put out are one and two. I'm like, well, what the hell am I going to do with four, five, and six? What am I supposed to do? So do you want to know what I have? I won't show you. But right behind me where my sewing machine is, I ha we have a pellet stove, which is compressed wood, right? Well, those come in these plastic bags. We go through relatively three tons a year. 
there are 40 bags in a ton. That's a lot of plastic bags. Guess who needs a tarp for underneath her tent? I'm not going to go buy a tarp. I'm sewing those bitches together and I'm going to have it. I'm going to have a tarp for underneath my tent. And then I'm like, well, I told my husband, I said, whatever you bring in this house, you better find a use for because we're not putting it in those freaking bins anymore because it's not even going where it belongs. Why the hell should I worry about that? So you know what you do with those water bottles, Chantel? You're going to make a mobile. You and Maya Jane are going to color those sons of bitches and you're going to hang that shit up on your deck and you're going to have a good ass summer. You're going to have crafts for the rest of her life. You just solved it. You solved all of my confusion. You are the MVP. Just color that shit and hang it up on your porch. Your neighbors are going to love it. (laughs) I love it. I mean, like we have to, we have to laugh. We have to make fun of this situation because we don't know what end is up. Who's telling the truth? Who's not telling the truth? That's not a new thing happening in our world now, is it? No one has ever known what the hell is actually happening. So newsflash, I'm just going to do me. You guys are just going to do you. We're fabulous people anyway. And so there it is. That's the solution. Just be an awesome freaking person and get through your damn day and just know that I don't care what bottle you drink out of as long as it's not mine. For me, I do, I tessellate between eco-anxiety where I'm like, we're fucked. This is bad. Maya Jane is doomed. She's going to have to live in an air-conditioned bubble um, in her later years. That's that's the worst where my brain goes, right? Based on the math in this book, I don't think it's going to happen that rapidly. So that's good. But the the other side of it too is remembering that we're here for today like we have to we we are here um and we have to try to live the best quality of life that we can but do as little harm as we can like i think if we have that that perspective so while i'm sitting here thinking like i i can tessellate between like oh we're fucked it's all doomed it's it's you know whatever i also have to remember okay well i if i'm since i am here and i am living life i should not just you know we shouldn't do absolutely nothing and just stay put and like try to not make any impact whatsoever because then we're not happy right so we can't we can't be an extreme of oh i'm not drinking anything out of plastic i have to know where the source is of everything it's like you can only take so much damn anxiety before you just need a nap so we got to find a happy medium and happy medium is different for everybody I don't think everybody is going to drive an electric car tomorrow. Um, I don't think everybody is going to give up reusable plastic bottles or things. But those are also like little tiny things. Like what somebody had said before, like the corporations, the governments, the politics and all of this stuff, like these things that really can have a big impact, um, no one's doing anything about it. Hey y'all, I'm interrupting this episode to let you know how you can support my podcast, writing, and other creative projects. Head over to the show notes of this episode where you can consider buying me a coffee once or monthly, gift me a book from my wish list, or just leave a nice review to help others find this podcast. I know your time and money is valuable, so thank you in advance for your support. And now let's get back to the show.
And jump in another one that I thought was interesting was about the um, the cloud formation with the aerosols and how like some aerosols is actually not bad. It like helps helps with the global warming situation, um, especially like the fine ones like from car emissions, which I thought was wild. Um, but it's the like coal fired power plants. I think it produces black smoke wildfires where those clouds act in the greenhouse capacity versus, you know, insulating the earth to keep it cool. I thought that was really interesting because I had never heard that before. And this might just be because um, I remember all those depressing commercials about the skinny polar bears and things like that. Seeing the, the essays about the uh, melting ice caps, the glaciers and all that kind of stuff really kind of made me be like, now that part sucks because some of these animals are not going to make it through that. We're going to have a whole bunch of more extinct animals and things of that nature. Um but once again, it comes back to the as an individual people on our surface level, what can we do when it's really the corporations that are putting a lot of that issue into play? Something, I guess, somewhat hopeful and to piggyback off of what Ashley said is that I learned that the Earth deals with carbon emissions naturally, which is not something that I really knew. Like I knew as a child in science class, they said, well, we breathe oxygen, the trees make that. And then we breathe out carbon dioxide and the trees, they, the trees need that and we need what they have. So we kind of give and take, you know, that's the basic science of what my brain is, understands, right? And so, but to hear that the earth has systems where it's scrubbing emissions and things naturally and stuff like that that was good to hear um but of course then it can take a dark turn in which it has these systems and the scrubbing and stuff like that but like uh think of it like a dishwasher right like okay you can put the dishes in the dishwasher the, the dishes can get clean and you know you use them again and whatever um but if you are cramming you know an entire neighborhood's worth of dishes into a single family home's dishwasher that dishwasher is going to break down uh, because it's not intended to, um, to to handle all of that. So then it comes back to, okay, well, we have this dishwasher. We have to use it wisely, right? Because it's, it's the only one uh, that we have. And so then it goes back to, okay, well, we need to make changes so that we're not overrunning the system that we have. But then we can go off into the, now I wouldn't say off into the weeds, but the the, comp the complexity of the problem is that the, the systems that are most uh, equipped to get the most people to understand like, hey, we're putting too many dishes in the dishwasher. I'm just going to run with that metaphor. Doesn't actually tell us that we're putting too many, you know, dishes in the dishwasher. It's like, Hey, pay attention to this this thing over here, or the debt ceiling, or the 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 student loan things, and um, you know the the price of gas, and this upcoming election. Like, there's so many different things vying for our attention. We don't ever get anything done. Uh, and also, I think the message that I've gotten from this book so far too is we can't buy our way out of climate change. Like. And I think that's what the average day-to-day -day person is marketed. It's like, you know, even if you buy a bottle of water on the packaging, it's like, oh, this bottle was made with uh, recycled whatever. And who's to say if it was or not, you know? Um, 
but we're thinking, oh, well, I'm doing something better because I'm buying this one that was made with a recycled bottle than the other one. And, um, you know, we're, the, I think most of our interactions with solutions comes from the what we're buying uh, because we live in a consumer world. Then like, the, uh, and I think that's what the book at this level, at this section at least is getting at is that there's not a lot from a personal like responsibility that you can do that's really going to make a big impact. It comes down to how can we collectively have the same opinion to change government's perspectives. I don't remember which essay it was or if it was a part of one, but it was talking about how China has recently like chose to ban a chemical um, that was an aerosol that was like increasing the greenhouse gases, right? Um, and it's a chemical that many other countries had banned decades ago because they knew it was bad, but China had only banned it because their smog problem had gotten so bad that they was essentially choking their people. So they waited till, you know, it became such an, like, we're not going to have a civilization or people to keep our economy going before they did something about it. And so we need people to push their governments to enact change. In that same vein, Greta said, we can't turn into a dictatorship either because that's not going to work. We need to have a free democracy where everyone is on the same page with what the plan is going to be. And with your dishwasher um, analogy, which I really super like because it made me think about different generations of people. So if you think about people that were like my grandparents, so that's like uh, like 29, 28. So depression time, right? So even a generation before them, you took care of what you had. Things weren't disposable. And then you hit the um, depression and those generate, that generation um, saved everything or fixed everything. And so then you've got like a little bit of hoarding or whatever, but they, they took care of the things that they had. Things weren't disposable. You didn't just throw it out and go get another one. So as the generations progress, things are disposable. We are a consumer-driven society, not just here in the States, but other places as well. And so you've got people whose mentality is, well, I'll just get a new dishwasher. But there isn't another dishwasher, right? So do we need to phase out certain things? <laughs> like you, I mean... It's it's funny because the older generations that understand the value of repairing things are unfortunately the same generations that got us into these problems, but they're not using that mentality of that they have with other things. So you have a generation like Greta's where and others that are coming up who are learning to kind of shun that disposable theory. Um and I think that's where we're going to see more progress and generations, unfortunately, like ours are the problem because we just have that mentality that you just throw it out and go get another one. You throw it out, you go get another one. And that's, you've got that generation of mindset running these bigger corporations. So it's not just that they're Fifty and want to screw everybody over. That's there. That component is there in any generation. But they also, you're dealing with generation that just doesn't have that mindset that we need to care for something and protect it and nurture it. And, oh, this is going wrong. 
okay, so how do we mend that? Nobody darns socks anymore. And I'll tell you why, because that's a pain in the ass. It's so hard to do that. It's a craft. It's a skill set. And people don't want to slow down long enough to learn a new skill set when you can just go buy another pair of socks. So that if you don't have a generation that's put value on learning specific skill sets to maintain what they already have, then, and you have them leading these things, it's going to be very difficult to change that mindset in those people that are actually in positions to change things. And so um, I really appreciated your dishwasher reference because that really stuck in my head that, oh, okay, we need a, we need a Maytag repairman. And who the hell is he? Because you know what I mean? And does he have the skills to do it? And I, as you, thank you so much for connecting the pieces to that. Uh, Cause I'm trying my best, but uh, this is, it's so many different things that I'm reaching for. And I know it's cause I'm taking on a huge, just in a podcast setting in four, four episodes, right. We're reading an entire book, but trying to have a meaningful conversation about what this means for mental health and what we can do is, you know, reading the book is probably going to leave you with more questions than answers that you got, you know, but even in this like small capacity, it's, there's only so much that we can do. Uh, I've never promised to change the world through a mental health book club. Uh, But something that jumped out at me that you were saying is, uh, and I think we've kind of, all kind of come to this conclusion too, is we focus on recycle. I think what we're learning is recycling has some limitations, right? But back in science, remember when I said I understood how the trees give us something and we give the trees something and it was like, oh, we work together. Uh, There were two other parts to the recycle thing. It was reduce, reuse, and then recycle, right? Recycling may not be as effective as we hoped it would be, or as much as the corporations will tell us that they are, despite the fact that they are charging me a pretty penny on my utility bill every two months uh, for the service, uh, for the convenience. Um, But we digress. Uh, But reduce and reuse is, okay, let me not use as many plastic bottles. Or if you do, do something useful with the byproducts of it, right? And I do believe that as a as a not even a generation, but just as a society, we don't, we don't keep, we don't fix things like your iPhone battery starts not staying charged that long. You go to the Apple store and you just upgrade. And then of course, Apple will say, oh, we're going to recycle this. We're going to refurbish it. We're going to do all these things. I was in the Apple store with the issue with my AirPods over the weekend. This guy was very quick to say, because I was like, oh, you know, I wish that, you know, um, that y'all could just do like a buyback or something if, you know, something's not quite. He's like, we only sell new products here. He just flat out was like, yeah, we, the, we're we Apple. We only sell new products here. But I was like, well, wait, what about the sign over there that says that y'all are, <laughs> you know, doing everything for the environment and stuff? I was like, is that only when there's Earth Day during the month? Like, it's, it's very interesting how it's... Um, you know, depending on who you're talking to, these corporations can shape themselves to be the answer to everything. But um, yeah, we, but we've grown up because 
smartphones, for example, have just been something that we've like kind of come to know is like a, a essential part of living life, right? But it's like we don't think much about like, oh, well, it's not working because we grew up in a culture where it's like, well, something stops working. You take it there and they whisk your old phone off to some magical land that we hope turns into, you know, something later on. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to recycle this and we're going to give you a credit off of your, you know, and then you have the shiny new phone and you're not thinking about what happened to that thing. There's, there's, you know, waste, there's uh, electronic waste and stuff like that. So, but you could also take that phone to the Apple store and just put, have them put a new battery in it and then use that phone longer. Right. Um, but none of us want to do that because we want the, we want the new one that we saw in the commercials. And they've also done quite a bit of marketing to tell us that the one we have is shit anyway. The second we, you know, took it out of the box, they already had a new one out that was way better. And this one is obsolete. So it, we're working against some really strong, like powerful things that are really hard to resist. And like, it's not as simple as like, we're just stupid and we see shiny things, but it's really interwoven into our culture, you know? Um, So that's something hard to come by, but I would actually like with what you said about, you know, Oh, it was a craft. It was an art form to men's socks and stuff like that. I would love to see us like start to transition into fixing things and keeping things longer and using them uh, until they absolutely can't be used anymore. I, I think that would be really good. And that would be more impactful than, making sure that my plastic bottle gets to an actual refurbished facility. I don't know. I, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Reduce and reuse is something that we need to focus more on. And I think that piggyback on what Angela was saying, like the older generations and uh, you know, they were fixing things and they were a lot more conscious. I think part of that too, is that you think about the depression that they're in at the time. I mean, I think back to, uh, if anyone remembers flower sack dresses, the flower sacks were like fabric, um, and they had a print on them so that once you finish the flower, you can make a dress out of it. Um, and so thinking back to that, like, I think that the generation now that's in charge, right. The boomers and, and the silent generation, they have so much trauma around growing up with the have not that once they had children and we were in a society where you could just give them whatever they wanted and you can have this new thing all the time, they did that, right? Because you want what's best for your children. You want to give them everything you didn't have. And it's just built a generational after generation culture of don't worry about it. Like we're not in bad times. We don't need to, you know, be making dresses out of flower sacks. Um, when in reality, that mindset really needs to be taken back and say, whoa, whoa, that may have came out of the depression, but like, if you can hand down a can opener from, you know, your great, great grandma, and it still works. Like the best can openers come from Goodwill because they're old and they work. New can openers do not work. And it's because we're in a generation of, Oh, it's broken. Throw it away. What she said. That was brilliant. I agree. I'm a cast iron girl, cast iron pans, things that, that, um, I don't know. I, it's taken me a long time to it. You have to be very purposeful to handcraft a slow life, to handcraft um, a non-consumer life. And then there's those times where like, I'm like, oh my gosh, if someone actually came to my house and saw the crap that my husband and I do, they'd be like, like I have people that 
family that have come over and like, oh, your kitchen's so outdated. And I'm like, yeah, it's outdated because those cupboards still work. When they're broken, I'll do something about it. It's okay that you don't like my cupboards. Like there might be those times where like, but then you feel like, oh, everybody has these pretty kitchens and it's really hard to to stay in that mindset. So it's like, okay, well, what could I do? I was at a garage sale and this lady was, it was the last day and she was, had had enough. She just wanted stuff to leave. And she had this bag of all these brand new handles for cupboard doors. Those things are like four bucks a piece. I got my whole kitchen done because she was just had had enough. Um, They're still ugly old cabinets, but they have really nice, pretty handles on them. I could paint my cabinets. Yeah, I'm buying paint, but... So it's that thing like, um, is something broken or is there a cosmetics problem? Do I feel like I have to have an aesthetic in my home or on my body or whatever? And that that fight, I have it a lot um, because I want to say I'm a non-consumer. I want to say that as a household, we live in an obscene size house for two people. So there's guilt for that. And then it's just you know, what do you do? And I think, yes, go to Goodwill and buy that can opener that is not electric. And when the apocalypse hits, you'll still open your cans. Um, we rely too much on things that are motorized. Um, and then, you know, your power goes out and you don't know how to function. That's the other thing. There's no skill sets to function if something did go wrong. Um, so I like I like that whole, what you said about the flower sacks and about going back to that mentality. That's the kind of mentality that might make a huge difference as far as what we as individual people could do. I'm going to piggyback off of that a little bit too, because the the generation who was in you know dire times, they wanted their children to have better. They wanted their children not to suffer to know what it was like to go without and things like that. And that I think is just an instinct of being a parent or of being someone who's been through trauma and who it's just a natural instinct to like, I'm a parent. I wouldn't want my daughter to have to go through some of the things I had to go through. I think that's just normal. Right. But I think the byproduct of it, it started from a very noble like place is that we have a gener- generations of it's not just a generation, but you have generations of people who don't. Are, we're almost allergic to inconvenience. I have a, a, a an electric vehicle, which I again understand is a sign of privilege because not, they're expensive. They're not everybody can afford one, and it, to be able to charge one or to have the thing at your house to be able to maintain, you know, to do the the things or whatever, right? But I went on a a longer trip uh, uh, to uh, South Carolina, the end of April. Uh, and I used um, my grandma's car, which is a, a very small like gas car. Uh, Cause I was like, well, I could take my EV. Then I have to stop at the EV chargers along the way. And it would add like an hour to the trip and this and that. And it was also that like anxiety of, well, what if I, uh, stop and all of the chargers are taken and then I have to wait and the different things. And then it's, it's going to make this whole trip, you know, I, so I opted to, okay, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I'm just going to take the small, 
which again, it's a small, very small gasoline car. Like the gas is super cheap to get there and back and whatever. But I'm taking that same trip again, uh, the middle of this month, right? And I've decided I'm going to take my EV that I'm paying a lot of money every month uh, for a car note, right? And I'm going to stop at the the EV charging stations. And I, uh, because I, it's important to me to be able to reduce emissions if I can, right? Um, and so the good thing about it is, is that the car, the GPS will tell you where you should stop at and how long you should have your car on the charger. It's like, the, you're, you could use the technology and stuff, but in my brain, I'm like, the anxiety kicks in of the the unknown. And also, I have to overcome the the fear of inconvenience. I think there's a lot of little things when it comes to solutions with climate change that we're, we're just in living our lives where we're like, uh, we're, we're afraid of being inconvenienced. So like reusing something or um, repurposing something for a long period of time, or like Angela, you said of what is somebody going to think about my cabinets or, you know, um, but this thing still works. Why do I need to get something new? Because we're also coming up against all of the marketing and things like that. It's, that's a lot. It's a lot to handle. So, and also too, like with having a electric vehicle, I've kind of embraced inconvenience um, in that I'm like, okay, well, it does take longer to uh, energize this vehicle than it would if I'm just filling it up with gas. Um, but for me, it's important enough to hopefully not emit so much. I I drive a lot. I I got that car in September. I put over twenty five thousand miles on it because I do drive a lot. And so for me, someone who drives that many miles in not even a year, like that's a significant reduction in emissions over having a gasoline vehicle, right? So for me, doing the things that would some otherwise be inconvenient, like I go to the gym, I'll park a mile down the from where the gym is, and I'll walk a mile to the gym from the charger because that charger is free. I get cardio in walking to the gym. I get my workout in. I walk back to my car. My car is charged and I didn't pay anything for it. Right. And so I've embraced some of those inconveniences to save emissions, but it's an adjustment. So I think for me on an individual level, and maybe that's how we'll end this episode is coming up with a way that we'll, uh, I'll go around and every person can say, well, in a small way in your life, how can you embrace inconvenience for the greater good? Right. So for me, I'm going to embrace, you know, I'm going to be more patient, not wanting everything on demand, because I think that's something that as a society, as in a culture, we're going to really have to get used to if we're going to focus more on reducing and reusing um, in how we move about life. But also when it comes to um, uh, commuting, I'm going to not be afraid of uh, inconvenience uh, when it comes to uh, how I use my car. And instead of, you know, taking my grandma's, you know, small gasoline car just for convenience and efficiency of, you know, not having to stop a bunch of times, uh, I'm going to add more time to that trip so that I can stick with the reason why I wanted to go electric in the first place. So I'm going to embrace inconvenience in those two ways so that hopefully I'm emitting less and also just becoming a more patient person because we do have it really good here in the united states so we we should enjoy our our lives but also we should understand that it's not all about us and it doesn't have to be instant so that's how i'm going to do it how about the rest of y'all how 
are you going to embrace inconvenience uh, in your life to reduce your footprint? I think for me, um, embracing inconvenience is going to look like, um, hmm. well, there is a little farm stand down the road. And so instead of driving all the way into town for an ingredient for a dinner, or maybe, you know, when I take my walk, which is goes right past it, stop there in the morning and see what they have instead of going, oh, I want to make this and I don't have that. So I have to go to the store to get that. What's down at the corner and how am I going to plan my meal around what's right at the corner since my garden's not producing yet? And still, that's a local thing. I'm just walking down the road to get it. Um, and then to the, the like, even in my art practice, um, the, the constantly wanting a new color or a new paint, it's like, okay, well, why don't we get a book out of the library or Google um, color theory and learn how to make those colors? So that you can take the array of paints you already have and create that color within what you already have instead of buying a twelve one $12 paint that's getting shipped from California, even though because it's pretty and everybody else has that brand of paints. And you just really want to be part of the group that has, you know, they already have like 20 of them. And I'm like, well, we get $12 a piece. And then they charge you $10 for shipping you know, maybe you just need to learn how to make colors and that will expand you as an artist. So I think um, the inconvenience of learning instead of the ease of just buying the paint that's already that color or, you know, knowing that the grocery store has every vegetable I could possibly want and just learning how to cook with seasonal things that are actually either coming out of my garden or the garden that's just down the road. Uh, I think for me, one of my bigger issues is like what people call fast fashion. So getting t-shirts from like Fashion Nova that are costing me maybe like seven, eight bucks. And um, to me, that's like cheap. So if it gets like a small hole somewhere, I'm just like, all right, I don't have to wear this shirt anymore. Um, being able to find something else to do with it. Like I keep saying I'm going to buy a sewing machine and learn, and learn to sew, turn it into a blanket at some point, And that way I'm still getting use out of them versus just buying them. They get a small hole and I'm like, oh, I'm done with it. Um, because even like the thrift stores are saying they have too many clothes. They don't know what to do with them. They're throwing away things. So I think this is probably a big problem for a lot of people. Like, what do you do when these clothes, like you said, nobody's patching socks anymore. Nobody's going through that process of fixing that. It's just like easier to order some socks from Amazon or Walmart and be like, I'm done with it. But being conscious enough to understand, like, is other things I can do with these items and just being mindful enough to actually stick through with that plan. Thank you for sharing that y'all. Um, and I know that, or at least Greta alluded to it in the beginning of this, um, like kind of in the introduction that there will be some, I guess, essays on like fast fashion and how that works. You know, um, I was just talking with, um, 
my wife, she's very much a browse things on the internet and all of a sudden packages end up at the house type of person. And there's this one, I can't remember what the company is. I'm not a shopper, but I know it shows up in a big orange bag and everyone talks about how it's like some, I told my wife based on how she described it, what she received and how much it costs. I'm like, you're supporting slave labor in some foreign land. There's no way that uh that's it that's it yeah um uh i don't know how it's pronounced someone put it in the chat but yeah that's it and um i'm like easily slave labor um with the pennies that you paid for these things they're cute like because she'll get things for our daughter and stuff and i'm like oh that's cute um but then i'm like and she it's almost like a source of pride it's like guess how much i paid for all of this and i'm just like sick to my stomach because i'm like this isn't right this is this is problematic but um yeah it's it's you know it doesn't hurt us to like uh get a little bit reflective and be like hey this is something i'm doing that i know is probably not the best and i'm going to try to to curb that a little bit it's not a it's not a judgment thing um and one thing i'll i'll end on is kind of on that same thing is i was talking with somebody uh, they were explaining to me how they basically gotten themselves into uh, almost like $24,000 of like consumer debt. And, and I, when it, you know, in talking with them, trying not to be judgmental and stuff like that, I, I encourage them. And this is kind of like me switching between being a therapist and trying to be a supportive friend, you know, and I'm always telling my clients, let's not waste time on the question of why um, too long. Like we can ask ourselves, well, why did this happen? There's some benefit to it. But if we spend too much time on the why, like, think about climate change, like we we can spend some time understanding like, well, why, how did we get here and stuff like that. But we spend too much time there, we're not actually going to get anything done because we're stuck on why, right. And there's some other things I always tell my clients, don't get caught up in the shoulda, coulda, woulda, because the person talking about their debt, they're like, well, I should have not upgraded my car like I did, or I could have, you know, taken the job that I would have made, you know, there's always a a million different scenarios that weren't chosen, right? And I always, I try to tell when I'm speaking with clients in therapy, I'm like, well, don't get so caught on. And I even tell my clients, I'm like, this is a one hour therapy session. You want to spend the whole time talking about why? Or do we want to do something about it? Like, I heard some of your why, but like, let's do something about it now. Um, And then the shoulda, coulda, woulda is like, okay, yeah, let that run for a minute. But again, it's 60 minutes, we could go down all these different uh, roads of which you could have done, you should have done or would have done if x, y, and z. And I'm like, all you're going to do is spin around, you know, the cul-de-sac of each neighborhood and not actually get anywhere, right? So I would say when it comes to individual choices, it's something like, you know, um, you know, me, I chose to take a, a gasoline vehicle on this trip to South Carolina last time. I could be like, well, I should have just taken my EV or, um, you know, I uh, could have made, you know, my shirts into a, a blanket or, you know, different things like that. We have to just be kind to ourselves. And I think that's an important part of mental health too, is we're human. Literally, this podcast is called Perfectly Imperfect. We don't have it all figured out. And that's the whole point of being human is that that's what life is about is not having the answers and trying our best, right? And as long as we have another day of life, we can keep on trying, right? So I guess to anybody listening to this podcast um, and has listened to me 
spin my wheels in the mud and trying to figure out what what to even like pen down as uh something to discuss because this is this is a huge uh complex topic but be kind to yourself uh don't get caught uh too long in the why of things it's it's helpful to know but we can't spend too much time there and if you find yourself in the shoulda coulda wouldas um find a way to uh put a bookmark there and take a step away do some self-care go on a walk breathe if it comes to reading this actual book and it's starting to overwhelm you and you're getting eco anxiety the book is there side note because why not go for a joke right uh, i had mentioned this before we hit record um there's like five or six people in this uh, mental health book club and as because this is grant funded i'm able to like buy the book and send it to people as part of this uh we just joked about how like how much paper and trees and things like that clearly had to be consumed and also gasoline from the amazon trucks because i definitely sent these bitches via prime and um you know, just all of that, just to even make something like this book club to happen. Right. Um, and so we could just be like, well, we're all trash because this is, this is what we're doing. We're, we're tearing down trees just to talk about a book. Right. Um, but I think it's an important book. And also the good thing about the fact that it's a physical thing, as opposed to say the Kindle version is that when I'm done with this book, I can pass it on to somebody else because it is a physical thing. I can't share my Kindle books with people. Um, so I can then give this to somebody and if they find something, uh, meaningful from it, they will pass it on to somebody. So this book, even though it took down some trees in the way it could have a long life of, um, you know, making an impact because it's good information in it. So we could get caught in the weeds about like, well, I should have got the digital version or I could have gotten the audible version. Right. Um, but how about I'm thankful that I live in a place where I can have access to books. I know how to read. I'm literate and I can learn things and use the things that I learned to live a better life and hopefully create a better life for those down the road after I'm long gone. So that's the conclusion I'm going to, I'm going to end this one on, but before we go folks for next week, uh, we are going to be doing page. If you're following along with us, we're going to be doing pages 106 through uh 199 so uh, be sure to join us back next week uh for part two of this discussion of greta thunberg's the climate book and if you're reading along just remember take some time to breathe and practice some self-care if it's overwhelming you a little bit um it is not a linear story type of book so if you skip around a little bit it's not the end of the world but self-care is more important than being perfect on getting all of the pages read. So just remember to be kind to yourself. But until next time, thank you all for listening and take care.